You're listening to the e-commerce marketing show presented by Privy. Hey, what's up, everybody? Thanks for listening to another episode of the e-commerce marketing show. I'm here today. Well, she's not with me. She's in LA. I'm in Boston, which is unfortunate because LA seems to be lovely this time of year. Although it's about 50 degrees, so we're okay here. But her name is Melanie Balky, and she's really done it all across marketing. She is an outsourced CMO. She's someone that has become an expert in SMS and email and advertising. And I'm excited to get to pick her brain today. So hey, Melanie, thanks for coming on the show. Of course. Thank you for having me. Give everybody listening a little background on you. So you you have your own consulting firm, but like, who are your clients? Like, what, what types of businesses? How do you spend your time, and what do you work with them on? Sure, I guess a little bit of a background story. I started working in Germany in the classical consulting field, and then moved on to marketing. So I started in a very traditional industry. So you can think of automobile, telecommunication healthcare, all that good stuff, and then stumbled into the startup world, moved to the US, and now I work specifically with e-commerce brands most of the time, or brands that are not necessarily e-commerce, but function like an e-commerce brand. So for example, say you're selling a customized report, but your goal is to have the entire site function like an e-commerce brand, well then... I would still consider that e-commerce. I really say I offer kind of three services for people, which is one, the outsourced CMO, which you talked about, which really is built around building your marketing strategy and team. And then I love to deep dive into email and Facebook just because I like to geek out on that stuff. All right. So you got into the e-commerce space. Tell me like, what are the biggest marketing mistakes that your average entrepreneur in e-commerce is, is making? Like if this is therapy and I'm coming to you and I'm like, Hey, I got a new, I'm setting up a store on Shopify and I'm going to start selling these water bottles. Like what are the common mistakes that I make? Cause my guess is most people aren't starting e-commerce businesses because they love marketing, right? No one's like, I love marketing. So I'm going to start an e-commerce business. It's like, no, I want to sell this product and I, and I want to try to do that. What are the mistakes? Ah, I think two of my favorite ones. Number one would have to be people never, ever talking to their customers. It's like, that seems to be the furthest from people's minds to actually go out and consistently talk to your customer and ask them, hey, what do you think? Or see how they use your website, see where they get stuck. Ask, hey, why didn't you order again? That like always blows my mind. And it's probably the most useful information you can have as a business, right? It's also easier than ever today to be able to do that. Like you actually don't have to leave the building and go visit customers. There's like a million ways to try to actually go talk to people who might buy from your business without leaving your couch and your sweatpants. Yeah, totally. Like a really good example is recently for a client of mine, I sent I send a totally text-based email. So no design. It looks like a really personal email. And I just said, hey, whatever their name is. I see you've been opening up our emails for quite a considerable time. So I basically segmented by people who've been opening up our emails for six months or more, but who've never purchased online. And I basically just asked, hey, how come you haven't purchased from us? Like, what's up? I love that. That Okay. 
I have a similar story to that. This is more for B2B world, but the best, one of the best emails that I ever sent was, this was at my last company. We had a blog subscriber list of maybe like 10,000 people. And we said, Hey, this is a blog subscription. Like, you know, the whole opt-in form is all about like, we're never going to sell to you. This is just getting our content. And the list was super engaged and we had never, ever sold to them ever. And so I was like, you know what? I want to try to sell to this list because there's nobody that's going to be a better buyer than people who actually know and trust us already. But I had to write it like that. And then said, Hey, look, it's Dave, the same guy that's been emailing you every week with our new content for the last six months. Since I've never asked you to buy anything, I hope you don't mind me asking, but I thought this might be really valuable for you, yada, yada, yada. And like, it's something about addressing that upfront and like saying that that's the reason why you're asking versus if you had just sent your email, Hey, you should buy our stuff. People are like, wait, what, why me? But you're addressing there that, you know, objection upfront and you're addressing the elephant in the room by saying like, look, you're on our email list. You open all our stuff, but you never bought what's up. Yeah. And it was super cool because well, one, a lot of people responded saying, Oh my God, I love this personalized approach. Second of all, I had like 350 responses to go through, which looks great for deliverability, right? Our email service provider is like, oh, people are responding to them. They must be a really good email provider. And I got so much information, you know? It was really interesting for us also to see what came out of that is we've been growing our email list a lot through giveaways. The board's goal is like, we want rapid email growth. So we're growing through these giveaways, right? But those people, while they love our content, they love the recipes. So this is like a food brand. They love the recipes. They just can't afford to buy the product. That was a lot of the feedback we got. And that was pretty cool. Just since you mentioned this, I would, I would love to ask you. So I'm, I've been in this space for like 90 days, so I don't know anything. But how do you balance the giveaway and discount versus straight up content? Because I, I see a lot of brands where the only time I hear from them is when they have a discount, which is seems to be very frequently... But it seems to be the best brands are like actually able to build relationships through email and content. So how do you coach people on how to make that happen and, and how to balance like actually building an audience through content versus only running discounts and promotions? Yeah, I mean, it also depends on your business, right? There's businesses who've made a massive living just on being a discount brand, right? Like Walmart or Forever 21. I think when it comes to email and if you're really not looking to just become another commodity... The way I look at it is every email that I send or that I coach my clients on sending is, are you adding value to these people? If they open that email and they see another email from you, are they going to say, oh, there must be some good stuff in there? Or are they just going to delete it because they see it's coming from you? I think content is becoming super important, right? The more expensive I feel Facebook ads and all these kind of paid media channels are getting, the more this concept of owned marketing and all these channels you actually own, like your email list, the more important those get. And I think the more important it gets to really nurture them and give them some love. How do you think email and social play together, right? In that world where, like, I think everybody wants to be great on social media and have a great brand on social media, but what ends up happening is you just end up posting like products or promotions. And so it's really tough to build an audience on social. So where do social and email fit together as part of the marketing strategy? Well, I think what they have in common is you have to ask yourself that question again, right? Am I sending an email to send an email or am I sending an email because I'm adding value? And the same goes for what you're posting on social. So I think the biggest mistake companies make is they just want to be in it because they want to be in it because everyone else is doing it, but they're really, you know, they're kind of just half-assing it. (laughs) 
but like, what does it take? Because I, I feel like the best brands that I see on social, it's like you can tell they're intentionally making content for social as opposed to just like, oh, we wrote this article and we're going to you know schedule it on Buffer and it's going to go out in two days. Like I talked to one brand a couple weeks ago and they make like baby clothes, newborn clothes. And every Monday they do a new photo shoot in their office. And the sole purpose of that is to get interesting and fun and creative content for social media. So it feels like there has to be some level of intention in order to be able to compete today versus just blasting content out on on social. It doesn't seem to work. Totally. It's all about intention. And the content strategy, what I believe is incredibly valuable and can drive a lot of sales for you is going to take a lot of resources. And here's one of the tricks that I have for startups. And it can kind of cover email and social where they would go hand in hand is I love working with influencers, not for their clout, right? I probably in my lifetime of influencer marketing have very rarely seen that an influencer drives sales and you're like, oh my God, that was so worth it. But they give you content. So the way I work with influencers, and I've done this over a couple of brands, is they'll get product or free product or even we pay them. And if you're a food and beverage brand, for example, they create all the recipes for us. They shoot all the photos. We get 20 brand new photos. We get a brand new recipe. We get video. We paid a couple of hundred bucks. They're micro influencers, but their content is top notch. We use that. We post on social. That's 10, 15 days of social, you know, stories included. And then we take the recipes and we make an email out of it. And that's my recommendation. I love that. That's my favorite play also. This is, which is funny, like that's actually what this podcast is, right? Like we're trying to become leaders in e-commerce marketing. And so like the whole strategy is, oh, let's launch a podcast where we can get the best people in the space on. And then through them, we can create content. Like through you, we're going to be able to create content from this. That's like how to grow your email list, right? And so that's a really creative way to think about that, which is interesting because I think, I bet a lot of people aren't thinking about influencers from a content creation strategy. It's like, it's a way to get content, not necessarily a direct ROI on the spend to get them to work with you. Yeah. How do you find influencers though? Like, I know this is a topic that a lot of people are struggling with where you can use an app or a service. That's one way you can do it by hand, which takes a while. Like what's been your coaching strategy that you share with your clients on actually getting influencers? I've tried the whole apps and service thing for a while. It's kind of like weird. Some will only let influencers on that have registered. Some are super expensive. I think the benefit of those platforms now that Instagram's removing the like count that you can't really see how many likes people have is you really get to know their engagement rate and stuff like that. So whether they just paid, you know, 2000 bucks to get 40,000 followers or whether they're actually creating quality content. But what I do, to be honest, is I have a VA. And I'll give them parameters and I say, this is the niche I'm looking for. So again, food and beverage, good example. Like I want vegan cooks who all they do is vegan recipes and I want the images to be of this quality and I want them to have this type of following. Give me a list with their emails. Can you explain what a VA is for people that might not know and and how you go and get one? Totally. It's a virtual assistant. Some of them are based here in the US, but I would say the majority of them are based in the Philippines and Southeast Asia. They're incredibly talented people who are incredibly smart. I mean, some of the VAs I work with, their English is so incredibly immaculate. They've been very reliable. And, you know, sometimes they charge a premium, but to be honest, you can get VAs probably as cheap as $4, $8, because just of the, you know, the income disparity between the two countries, US and, for example, Philippines. 
And yeah, they do all kinds of work for you. What sites are you using to get a VA? I found the best VAs I find actually in a Facebook group. So it's a VA Facebook group. I have to look up the actual name, but there's a bunch of Facebook groups for VAs and that's where I usually find the best ones. That's awesome. So you can literally find a VA and say, I want influencers in this industry and they're going to go and just comb through Instagram and come back to you with a list of 10 and you just give them the criteria like following industry, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. And back in the day, I even gave them engagement rates. So I said, Hey, look at their last three posts, average the likes and then calculate the engagement rate for me. So they would do that manually for me, basically. What would be the engagement rate that you want? Is it comments, like ratio of comments to likes or what is it? I do kind of a a sum of things. I say, hey, take their likes and their comments. So I count both. Obviously, sometimes that means I double count. But I I do think a comment is a lot more valuable than a like. Okay. So then you have a list. What's your pitch? How do you pitch an influencer? Okay. So now you got this list of 10 influencers. I want to know the exact email that you would send to me if I'm on that list? Like, what do you reach out and say? Because I think that's where a lot of people are going to get stuck. Probably something like, hey, and then name. So what I do is because I have this Excel list, I can obviously pull all their names and I have the VA fill out all the names. I love the content you're posting on at your platform. This is who we are. We'd love to work with you. Are you open to a partnership? I keep it really short and sweet, but then it's like a three, four stage funnel. So they'll get a second email saying, hey, not sure if you saw my last email. I'm just following up. Here's the opportunity again. Here's what's awesome about it. And then even a third email and a fourth email sometimes. And what I've seen is my third email says last attempt in reaching out in the subject line. And I swear to God, everyone will answer that email. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, wait, no, I want this money. Yeah, it's great. What do you use to uh, automate those emails? Right now I use a Mailshake. And that just sends them out all at the same awesome. time. I love hearing about this process. This is the fun part. Okay, let's, let's talk more about email. So that's influencers. What have you seen with email performance lately? Because I found that in marketing, most people are, are happy about 18 to 20% open rates. But I have some good notes from, from our team here. And they said uh, to ask you about open rates because you're, if you, you, have a, you have a take on like, if you have open rates about t- less than 20%, here's what to do. So tell me why 20% is not good and what you should do about it. Well, it's not that it's not good. I think if you have a 20% open rate, you're, you're on the safe side for deliverability. I like to have mine at 40% because I'm a firm believer in segmentation, right? And this is the way I look at it. And I think I heard this on one of your guys' podcasts. Did you, did you interview someone who said treat email like dinner guests? Yeah, it was Val, Val Geisler. She said, um, she, she calls it like her dinner party email strategy, which is like, you don't, you don't show up to someone's door and ring the doorbell and like, hey, Melanie, here's your, here's your pizza. Like, you know, you have to actually have a conversation with them first. Yeah. And, and that's how I look at email too, right? People feel like because they're a company, they should be interacting differently with people than if they were a person. Um, the reason I say 40% open is because that probably means you've segmented your list very well. And I'll give you an example, right? So right now I work with a toy company and they deal with um, people, how should I say this? They, they deal with teeth that fall out for kids, right? And people sign up in different stages, right? Some people sign up way before their kids start losing teeth. Some people sign up, the tooth is already out. Some people sign up somewhere in between. It's wiggly, it's not wiggly. So they're all in different stages. Um, And what I'm building right now is a funnel where based on that stage, 
they're going into a different welcome series. So in that welcome series is going to send them, if you're like, if you're ready to buy, if that tooth is wiggly, then it's all pretty much very conversion focused emails. So really, really getting to the conversion. But if they're like, hey, you know, there's no weekly tooth. We have like six months. Well, then I've built a content funnel. That's just content. That's just good content. That's engaging storytelling. That's stuff parents want to hear. Just to stay engaged with them. And I think if you take that concept of how do I speak to people in a way that matters to them and you apply that to the campaigns you're sending and you segment like that, then your open rate should be 40% or above. I, I, I love that. It also is like a great, just a great content strategy is like, if you just assume that not everybody's always going to be in a buying phase, okay, then, then what can you do? And related to that, the thing that Val talked about was, you know, specific to really Shopify entrepreneurs where, you know, most, most businesses on Shopify aren't doing one or two day shipping. It's going to be five, you know, it might be five to seven days before you get something. And she says that the big opportunity there is to not just say like, Hey, Melanie, uh, your order's on its way. And then like five days later, you get it at your door and you're like, oh, I forgot about that. Her, her thing is like, is there an opportunity to continue to tell stories and keep almost selling during that time period? And so your example is great. It's like, this kid's teeth are not falling out yet. You have six months, but now's the time to build up a relationship with them, get them to know and trust you. So then when it is time, uh, they're, you're going to be the first brand they turn to it. And in her example, she used to, I think it was like, it was some food company. Basically, the, your order would be there in five days. And over the during the five days while you're waiting for your order, every day you're going to get an email from them with recipes and how-to videos. And that, that's also content that could all just be from influencers also. Totally. And I think, you know, there's one thing to be said that when, when it comes to segmentation, people freak out because they're like, what? No, I, I want to send to my entire list. This is 100,000 people. Why are we only sending to 20,000 people? And then, or, or 40,000 people or 60,000 people. But then when you look at the open rate, you know, like 20% of 100,000 people is still only, you know, 20,000, right? Dave, help me here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 20% of 100,000 is, 100, is 20,000. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just checking. <laughs> Math is not my favorite thing. I'm with so you. I'm with you. Something on yeah. the show and everyone's like, oh, that's, that's not true. Well, I, I, I want one concept that I, one concept that I think about is I, I it's called like the endless, the endless funnel in that even with your segmentation, right? Like, like let's say you send that email and only 20% open with it. I think that the actual opportunity as a marketer is sure, there's a 20% of people that are going to open it. But what about the 80% that didn't? And could you resend to that list 48 hours later with maybe a new subject line, right? So if they didn't open, could you switch up the subject line? And I, you can also do the same thing for if somebody opens the email, but doesn't click. And so maybe within that 20%, hey, those 20% of people opened, those 20,000 people opened it, but there's probably going to be 18,000 people that never clicked. Well, two days later, I'm going to send you a different email and I'm going to change up the copy and I'm going to basically say that you didn't take advantage of this or you didn't click this or whatever. And so I think you have to always be thinking about there's more opportunities than literally just that email that you're sending right now. Yeah. I mean, every customer is different, right? If you're sending to your entire list, there's likely a customer in there who's purchased from you multiple times and very recently. That's your VIP customer. Those people you want to treat differently than the person who, you know, subscribed eight months ago, but has never purchased from you. Um, they all require very much different nurturing. And that's where I think segmentation comes in. And as a result of a segmentation is when you get high open rates, like 40%. 
All right. One thing that new trend right now is SMS. We call it text. Uh, same thing, just because we picked that name. But how do you think of email and text? Because I know that a lot of people are a lot of people are struggling with how do how do I use them together? And is text just like a short version of my email? And if so, oh my god, how am I ever going to write a hundred and forty character version of my email? So how do you how do you see um, text messaging start to play out? Or if you're doing that at all for any of your clients today, I'd love to know. I love text. Um, I will say one thing, you know. When Messenger, when Facebook Messenger came out, everyone was like, oh, it's the death of email. We're so much better than email. And now text is coming out and they're like, oh, it's the death of email. And I'm like, no, um, I think they all go hand in hand. They're all just a new channel and, and they should all be thought of, you know, in an omni-channel strategy. With text, what I love is, again, people think they got to text people as a company right? Like all official, like, oh, here's a 20% off coupon and welcome to our sale. The way I look at it is text is so personal. And um, I have a really good example. So I signed up like way back to the texts of this company called Brownies and Lemonade. They're like a party series here in LA. They started, I think, I think at UCSB. Um, and now they're like an actually big party series. And now and then, you know, I'm like sitting there watching Netflix and I'll get this text that's like, hey, just wanted to wish you an awesome month. I hope you crush it. Right. And I see this yeah. in my videos. I don't have the number saved. I'm like, God, Melanie, whose number did you not save again? Right. <laughs> why are they, why are they so damn inspirational? <laughs> yeah. And then I open the text. I'm like, oh, this is from them. And I think that's the way to use text. Like, you know, it's not just about, hey, here's 20% off. I think use text to push people to other parts of your email funnel, but make text personal because no one wants 100%. to get spam via messenger, via text messenger. I love that. I love that advice because you, the, the rules of good marketing still apply to text, right? And so the reason that message works so well is because that got you to remember the brand, remember who that, who that company was. I forget what you said, right? Remember who they are. And also, you're going to remember that they didn't ask for anything. It wasn't like, I hope you're having a great week. And also, right now is 10% off, right? Like, it was just a touch point that cost them nothing. It's not going to make you mad. You're not going to unsubscribe because of that. But now they're priming you. And so now they've primed you so they can come in with an ask and you're going to remember, oh, yes, that's so-and-so. Yeah. I mean, think about how effective that message was that I, weeks later, use it as an example for you guys. Right. And, and, and how, how simple is that? Like, let, let's not overcomplicate marketing sometimes, right? Like, can you say the text message again? What did they say to you? <laughs> it literally, let me read it for you. It, it's yeah, read it, read it. So great. Um, hold on here. And the cool thing is, you know, because I don't have their number saved, that moment of, oh man. So one of the texts they sent, hey, just want to quickly send some positive vibes your way. Crush it this month. Smiley face. Love it. And, the coolest thing is the next text I got from them is equally as good. It's want to see something cool? Question mark. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would respond back. Sorry. I, sorry. New phone. Who's this? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it works that way. Okay. So, so do you see, it sounds like you see text as a compliment to everything else that you're doing. Mm-hmm. What about as a channel for, it does to me seem like the best channel for like, for urgency, like either that's, Hey, you, for abandoned cart, Hey, you, you left this in your car. Don't here's a, here's a coupon code. If you want to finish checking out or also like 
surprise, it's Friday and we're running a 20% off sale just because for today. It does seem like the, the fastest time to respond, Chandel. Totally. I mean, the cool thing is, and this is the way I look at it from a consumer perspective, the consumer wants everything to be easier. We want to do more with less clicks, with less annoyance. That's where text comes in, right? Because everyone's checking out on mobile anyway. So if I can click that text and just sign out, that's awesome. I don't even have to go into my emails. I don't have to go to desktop. So when it makes things easier, I love it. And I think the benefit of text is you have like 80 to 90% open rates. What I will give a cautionary tale about is, have you heard of Herba? They're like a cannabis delivery platform. No, I haven't. So I think they're called Herba. They're like a cannabis delivery platform. And for some reason, I got on their text list and I was just receiving promotional text messages, right? Just Mm. promotional. I didn't engage with a single one. I haven't even been to their site and I'm just receiving promotional text messages. Well, then, yes, text is a high, you know, a high urgency channel. But for a customer who's not near where, like not anywhere near converting, um, you're misusing the channel because you're going to lose people quicker than you can think about. One thing that's cool about all the advice that you've given that I'm just realizing now is like, whether it's advertising, email, or text, you, ha- you have to know the stage of awareness that somebody has with your, with your brand, right? And so is text the best channel for cold? Probably not, right? Is it the best channel for your VIP super fan customers who are probably going to buy everything you put out? For sure. And so I think like before you go and draft up any email or any campaign, you have to think like, who, who is the audience for this? And uh, which stage are they at in this like buyer's journey, whatever that means in this world that we live in today? Because I, I don't think it's a straight line, but you know, who is the audience for this? Because can't, you can't treat every audience the same. Yeah. And you know, I think that goes back to one of the questions you asked me is like, people don't go and talk to their customers. And if you were interacting face to face, right, let's say you have a store. Now, this person comes in that's bought 20 times from you. You know them. They come in every month. Are you going to act differently towards them as a store owner than you would to someone who comes in for the first time? Yeah, you totally would. You'd be like, hey, Berta, so good to see you. I've missed you. How are the children? Versus a new person, you're like, okay, let me explain to you my product. And with email, I find that people just lump everyone in one group. Yeah, because it's easier. Oh, this is my email list. I got to send this email out today. Uh, how, how do you start? Like, if that was me, if I was a client and I just had a big email list, how do you actually start to think about segmentation? Like, cause I think a lot of people, people get like stuck on where to start. And then there's this fear of like, oh my God, I'm going to have all these audiences and I just want to send out this email to everyone. I don't just want to send to these hundred people. Where do you think about, how do you start to think about segmentation? I think there's a couple of categories. So if you've been sending frequently, I look at engagement versus not engaged. I look at how often they engage, how often they engage by opening or clicking, uh, purchasing, you know, who's purchased, how often have they purchased. So for example, if you have someone who's purchased, like I said before, three times in the last two months, they're probably one of your VIP customers. And these guys deserve to get all the exclusive access, all the first deals, And if you have someone, you know, who's been reading your emails for six to eight months and opening them, but who's never purchased, well, that's a really good point to be like, Hey, why are you not purchasing? Uh, I love it. And especially like you, that's the cool part about e-commerce, right? It's like, you can all, you can work backwards from, from purchase data. And so like, let's at least start with the people who have bought or or have not, 
<laughs> like that's the simplest yeah. way to segment something. Um, I want to I want to shift into into aver- into ads a little bit because you have some good advice on on Facebook ads, and I I know that one of the places that a lot of small e-commerce brands struggle is figuring out not just what to say on Facebook, but what to spend. And, and any, any channel where you have to go spend money, especially in a, in a business where margins are everything is, is scary. And so like, how, how do I even, if I know all right, I, I, I'm going to do this, I want to run some, some ads, I want to come up with a campaign. How do I figure out how much I actually want to go and spend? Like, how, how do you figure that out? And, and where do you test? I, I'm interested in your approach to that. I love that you came back to this question because <clears throat> this is actually when you asked me about the most common mistakes, probably the second most common mistake is people don't really think about their pricing, right? They don't spend time thinking about their cost per acquisition to figure out what they should be spending. So the way I look at it is I speak to customers and I say, hey, what's your average order value? How many units per order are you selling? What is your cost of goods sold? Okay, that's what most people do, right? They're like, how much does my product cost? What's my cost of goods sold? What should my CPA be? But there's more to it, right? Because you're paying credit card processing fees. On Shopify, I think you're paying like 2.7% and 30 cents per order or something around that or 2.4% and 30 cents per order. Um, you're paying shipping if you're offering free shipping and in e-commerce, you know, you want to offer free shipping. And then you also want to think about your margin. Like, what do I want my margin to be? Um, and then you can get your CPA. And then you can do some calculations, which I can't explain them by word, but I'm happy to share like an Excel sheet with you guys later that sure. I use this. Do, do you have a do you have a target for 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 your CPA? Like, if you know all those things, are you looking for, you know, if it costs you X, are you looking for three times that? Like, how, how do you think through the target for a cost per acquisition? It really depends because your your uh, target for cost per acquisition comes from these calculations. And that also gives you a return on Aspen that you're looking for. So if I'm doing this calculation, right, it's like, okay, I want a 40% margin. I'm paying this much and this much and this much. And then my calculation says, well, at this uh, calculation, you have a CPA of this and you need to achieve a return on ad spend of this. And my, my return on ad spend is like 10. And I'm like, okay, something's off in my calculation, right? Anything like above three or four, I'm like, okay, it's better to go back and fix my calculation. And then from there, you know, I can look at um, different spend levels and break it down and say, okay, if I spend $1,000 at this return on ad spend, I'm going to make this much money and this much in profit. And if I spend $10,000 at this return on ad spend, I'm going to make this much profit and this much revenue. So that's kind of how I go about ad spend. And the one thing I always tell clients is start small and then scale up slowly because there's a whole other you know, philosophy and strategy to scaling up ad spend. Well, because there's also like, uh, to me, the, the the plan is great, but that's really just a plan. And so you can you can you can think about the margins and the conversion rate, but then it, it always seems to be different when you actually go and run run those ads. The conversion rates are different. The click through rates are different. The landing page, you know, there's so many other elements, and so probably not the best thing to go and just put 10 grand there, but maybe you say, okay, I'm going to spend a thousand bucks over the next two weeks to really test and learn that then I'll actually have conversion rate data. Then I can really look at this funnel and say, yeah, yeah, based on what we learned spending a thousand bucks, like I actually feel pretty good spending 10 grand. Yeah, totally. It's about the starting the incremental testing. And what I say too, is like, not everyone's channel is Facebook ads. 
You know, you, you spend a thousand dollars over two weeks and you see, Hey, the CPA I'm getting right now is nowhere near my target CPA. Like I'm actually losing money on these sales. Well, then you can take a step back and say, okay, why is it? Am I not communicating to my customers properly? Right? Maybe you're telling them how great your smell is, but they only care about your taste. Um, so then you don't really understand your customer. And then the number one failing kind of, I would say the number one thing that makes your ad work or don't doesn't work is your creative. Forget about targeting because Facebook's taking all that over. They're like, they want to do it all themselves. It's your creative. So go back and look at your creative. Yeah. I love that might be the most important thing is like, before you even run the math on what your return on ad spend is going to look like and your cost per acquisition, like you, you should, you better have an idea about what is the, what is the campaign you're going to run? What's the creative? Cause you can go and create that. You can go and plug all those numbers into your spreadsheet. But if you don't have like, what is that ad going to be? It's just going to be an mm-hmm. image or like, I would rather be going out and like knowing we're going to shoot this video and here's the video that we're going to create and it's going to be hilarious. We're going to try to be funny or try to be, make you cry or, or whatever, or show the product. Okay, cool. We have the creative. Now we can go and think about how are we going to run ads to actually get this out there? Cause, cause I do think you are right where everything is becoming a, a system like machine, right? Where like, Hey, they're going to do the targeting for you. They're going to, they're going to show it to the right people. But creative is the real variable for, for success with any advertising today, any, any marketing campaign. Yeah. And I think the cool thing is you can be systematic about testing your creative as well. Do you know, have you heard of the Harmon brothers? They do like the squatty potty ad and that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They, wh- what's the name of their company? Isn't it like a unicorn something? Like I always think it's like, I got to look it up. Their website has like the Harmon brothers. Um, well, the Harmon brothers, they only made the video for squatty potty. So okay. they made like squatty potty and poopery. And for some reason they're obsessed with Got, it. got um, it. But got it. there's, I've been obsessed with them and their videos because they drive like insane ROIs. They get like millions of dollars in, in purchases from those ads. Right. And they're very methodical about building this creative every step of the way, they're actually really trying to understand what does a customer want? What's the problem? How are we solving the problem? Why are we better than others? And then they actually go out and test it. Like they literally go out, show the product to people and see how they react to it so they can use that for their script. And I think if people just went about it that way with their marketing, with their everyday business and marketing, they would be so much more successful. And, you know, same with creative. Go out and test your creative. Like, yeah. You don't have to do it all online anyway. And if you have an existing customer base, why don't you A-B test your creative and see what works with them? And then from you there, can, use that to scale it up to your new audience. You can, organic is also just such a good way to test. Like I, 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 can't, I can't tell you how many ideas in, in marketing that we have had that we've just, that have really started because it was a, a viral tweet or a viral LinkedIn post that then become something bigger. And so whether that's even... um. Even in your like your email, like you could you could use email as a as a way to test this, right? Like you said, you sent out an email and you got three hundred responses. Like to me, that would be like, oh, whoa, clearly struck a nerve with this. Like obviously that wasn't related to an offer, but you could send out an email, get a bunch of responses, and be like, wow, I have a really good gut feeling that like if we did this, it's going to be funny. Like I posted on LinkedIn one time where I was like, I wish. I wish that I wish there was a bar rescue. You know the show Bar Rescue where the guy goes in and he just like redoes everybody's bars. I like I wish there was that for I wish there was that for marketing and I could just storm into people's startups and be like, you call this a value proposition? And it was just a joke that I posted on LinkedIn, but like a thousand people commented on it, like, you should do it, you should do it, you should do it. And so 
I didn't end up doing it. But in that example, I would feel really good about going and making an investment in doing that because I already have like a little bit of a gut feeling from social that, hey, this might be, there, there might be something there. So there's always ways that you can test your ideas without having to go put a big portion of your budget behind it at first. Totally. Instagram stories, the yes or no button, right? I mean, a lot of brands are doing that. Hey, would you be interested if we made a new edition that looks like this? Would you buy it? Yes or no? There you have all your feedback. That's it. And then if that, yeah, then you also have, and by the way, you have your feedback and you also can have a built-in audience where like, if that is on, if, that, if that's on a channel that you own, you could say, here's all the people that clicked on that. And so when I drop this video, they're going to be the first 500 people that I email. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Melanie, this, this was awesome. Uh, I appreciate you coming on, uh, on the show. Any, anything else on, on your mind before, before we wrap up that you wanted to hit on? No, just talk to your customers, guys. <laughs> And you can do it as simple as sending out an email and then just block three days, send out an email and then go take all those calls. And I think you're always also going to be surprised about when you ask to talk to people, how many of your customers are going to be willing to do so. Yeah. People are stoked. I mean, the people, people are like the one number one surprising line I had in all those emails I received back is thank you for asking for my feedback. And I was like, wow. People like to be heard, especially if it's a brand that they love. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Melanie, you're awesome. This was awesome. Thanks for schooling me. Uh, We talked (laughs) about email, text, ads, poop. I don't even know. The Harmon Brothers, everything is on the table. But um, this was awesome. I, I, I appreciate you doing this. Thanks everybody for listening. And if you like this episode and you got at least one new thing from Melanie, which I know you will, it would be amazing if you left a review on Apple Podcasts and just be like, wow, that was awesome. Melanie blew my mind. I'm totally going to segment my list now or uh, whatever you want to comment. That would mean a lot. So thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you on the next episode.